0: In my stony heart, where were you in all that I've hoped for? Where were you in all that I have dreamed? Came crashing down in shambles around. cross pain could you take away the pain if I find someone to blame would it make my life seem easier alone all my friends are asleep and I can't find anyone to stay awake with me Oh, where were you when sin stole my innocence Lord where were you when I was ashamed hiding in a lie wish i never met You were on the cross God
1: thank you Robert beautiful song where's your guitar
0: you know I uh, jammed my finger last night
1: you jammed your finger sorry to hear about that you didn't see that on Facebook oh
0: I I jammed it smashing a cockroach
1: oh you jammed your finger smashing a cockroach and that's why you don't have a guitar up here I'm
0: playing it because I'm singing today but no I I did jam it though smashing a cockroach of
1: course I saw that on Facebook that's why I asked you the question (laughs) You're the only person I know who injured himself so much he couldn't play the guitar chasing a cockroach. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? That rain is held back. The sky is blue. It's a beautiful day. We're giving God praise and glory. Even as we look at the brightest and the darkest moment in human history, today the cross was necessary. Embraces. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the center of Christian theology and thinking for these 2,000 years. The central event when you go to the New Testament coupled with the resurrection. This is the gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised again the third day. I'm excited about talking about the cross today and it's great to see you here. So have you gotten your worship guide? There are some things on the tab that I want you to note and remember to check. OK, four or five of them, they have to do with care effect and our ministry of compassion during the week. They have to do with baptism on Easter Sunday. If you've been saved but not been baptized as a believer, go ahead and check that. Get the information about uh, how to be part of our baptism service. We also are going to need greeters and ushers after nine and a half years. This is the last Sunday that worship's going to start at 930 in Bible study at 11 all right nine and a half years we've done this we did it in preparation for the relocation to this facility and next week it's going to be 10:45 with bible study small groups at 9:30. so we're flipping the schedule next week i'll come back to that to the end of the service but go ahead and make sure you check these things you're brand new to first baptist new orleans welcome we're so glad to see you we're glad you're here We want to get this information from everybody in the room, including you, so go ahead and put your name on it, tear that tab off, return that to us at the offering time, all right? Put it in the plate, and uh, we'll be glad you did that. Let's give everybody in the room a personal welcome, okay? Stand up, tell somebody, welcome to First Baptist New Orleans, introduce yourself.
0: leading us. will be seated now.
1: We are singing and thinking and reading all about the cross this morning. I'm in the series Live Like You're Dying and this is number five in the series so we are now at the cross. It was the teaching on the cross in the New Testament that prompted me to talk about death in this series and how we live in the light of it. Next week I'm going to talk about the empty tomb. Believe it. And we're going to run with Peter and John to the garden and find that tomb open and explore what does that mean for us. So this is a partner sermon with the one that will happen on Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Day. I hope you'll be here. Jesus mentioned the cross before it even loomed in the minds of his disciples. We sing about the cross and talk about the cross a lot, and we assume that Jesus knew about the cross in his life and ministry, but he actually explicitly mentions it. And what I want to do today is go to Matthew chapter 16, where we will join Jesus and the disciples on the road to Caesarea Philippi, the northernmost part of Jesus' journeys, and right up there at the top of the nation of Israel. And I want to start in verse 16. Jesus is having a conversation. He's asking, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Now skip to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples... ...that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things... ...at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law... And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God. But the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Today we are gathered at the cross.
0: Man, our guilt upon your shoulders, man of sorrows, crushed beneath our shame. You stood condemned, despite the spotless lamb you suffered, crucified. You took the blame, and by cross, you were strong to save by your blood. stand up with us as we sing this familiar song it came from heaven to earth to show us the way to the Father you came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross my debt to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave Sky, Lord, I live to name all. High. Sing that again. You came from heaven to earth to the shore. At the cross you were strong to save By your love, by your love you have made a way There you broke the power, and there you broke the power Of sin and the grave at the cross At the cross you were strong to save Be seated now.
1: He came from heaven to earth to what? Show us the way. Now I want to pull back the obscurity a little bit this morning and help us see the way that he showed us. Because when Peter takes Jesus aside after he predicts his suffering and death and says to the Lord, never, this shall never happen to you, he receives in response the sharpest rebuke the Lord ever delivers to Peter, including after his denial at the trial. This is the sharpest word Jesus ever shares with Peter. When Peter says, Never, Lord, this shall never be, reminds me of the words he shared just earlier on behalf of all the disciples. When Jesus said, Who do you say I am? And Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, You're right, Peter, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You just spoke a heavenly word, Peter. Well done. Well said. God showed you this and you spoke it. And I'm sure Peter is going, whoa, in his mind. Because this revelation from the Father just just crept into his brain somehow. I think Jesus is telling him new information when he says, The Father in heaven revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from men. Sometimes God's revelations are just like that. I mean, all of a sudden in our mind, God speaks to us. And this is a word from God. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, is God's revelation. People can't say that without God helping them see it. So Peter is the vessel of God's revelation. And he's flying high. I'm sure he feels like a squirrel on top of the trees. Man, sailed across that gap, made it all the way over here got the commendation of jesus i am good have you ever seen a squirrel fall all the way to the ground i was walking in the forest one day and a squirrel made a jump and missed and when and i turned around there that poor thing was he'd fallen about 30 feet did you know they could fall that far get up and go that's what happens to peter He feels so good about himself when he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, God showed you this. Wow, he swelled up. And then Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I must suffer and I must die. And Peter, full of himself, takes Jesus aside and says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, one minute he's saying the words of God and the next minute he's expressing the mind of the devil. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says to him. You're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of men. (laughs) Peter doesn't think Jesus has to die. To be the Messiah. In fact, it doesn't make any sense at all in how he conceives the Messiah, God's promised one, and his ministry in the world. It doesn't make any sense at all. Peter and the rest of his generation, when Jesus comes, they're thinking about the Messiah leading them to victory. I mean, what's really wrong? Fundamentally wrong with the world. It's the wrong leadership, of course. If we had the right fella in power, instead of Caesar, instead of the governor, if we could just get the right guy, we could fix it all. There's nothing fundamentally wrong, you see, with Peter and the disciples that a really good Messiah who could lead them to victory and give them swords and arm them for battle and take over the world and do things right finally. There's nothing wrong with the world that a political messiah couldn't fix. People still think that today. Fundamentally, the problem in the world is its systems and its structure and the distribution of authority. And if we could just get the right president, governor, mayor... We could fix the world. In other words, the problem and trouble in the world is external to me. I'm in good shape, Jesus. I don't need you suffering and dying for me. All you got to do is take us to the heights over throw the emperor, and we are going to get this thing right. The problem in the world is political. And we need a Messiah who can fix the politics, not somebody to suffer and die on a cross. What's that about, heavens? What's that about anyway, Jesus? Never, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. I mean, do you ever contemplate Jesus dying on the cross, and and sort of shake your head and say, "What's this about? What is this about?" Um, it's hard when you conceive that the real evil in the world is out there somewhere, and that's what needs to be defeated and conquered—not in here somewhere. I mean, we weren't there. At the cross, were we? of his companions are trying to get there trying to understand what Jesus is talking about when he says I'm going to suffer and die we believe Jesus is the Messiah the son of the living God but why the dying part? oh it makes sense to us that Jesus would send the promised one but how does his death figure in after all? this sense that what we really need is a political leader, which was pervasive in Israel at the time. That's what they expected. A king like David, who is going to come and stretch the boundaries of Israel. The, the notion that if we could just get the right leader, that we could fix things, is part of the fall and the brokenness And the curse, that's where it comes from. Peter believes that he is pretty good. And his friends are pretty good people. And they're good enough that if they were given power and control, the world would be set right. There's a sense of being good enough. And there's sure nothing broken enough about them inside that Jesus needs to suffer and die to rescue them. After all, while they're not perfect, all right, Their failures are mostly mistakes and misdemeanors. I mean, the really wicked people in the world are other folks, not us. When the rabbi asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? He was expressing a question that pretty much resonates with everybody on the planet. I mean, we're basically good people. And we sure haven't earned a penalty. Anything like what Jesus suffered on the cross. I mean, maybe a hand slap. Maybe a good talking to. Maybe a little time out in the corner. But not capital punishment. Not a beating like that. That's not what we deserve. That's not the kind of sentence we got. Not us. We're fundamentally good people. I mean... Yeah, we've we've made some mistakes. Did, Did you notice the word mistake in the paper this week? Used by Stephen Hardrick when he talked to the families of his victims in the courtroom. He confessed to killing five people. Two of them he executed, shot him in the head. A third walked out while he was doing his execution. He was afraid the man saw him, so he killed him too. They did a plea bargain 30 years in the pen. Families were incensed. He confessed to killing five people. And he says to the families, I want to apologize for my mistakes. And the families stood up And stormed out of the courtroom saying all kinds of things. Why? Because mistakes wasn't the right word, Stephen. And the judge says, maybe you mean the word horrendous, Stephen. Hey, whether you're in the pew or Stephen Hardrick, going to 30 years in prison, fundamentally, You feel pretty good about yourself. I mean, you don't do things other people do. Why, Stephen's dad said, and he's a pastor, he said, Stephen's not the monster people make him out to be. And you're sure not a monster. And you wouldn't call your stuff horrendous, would you? The death of Jesus upon the cross drives me into this corner. I want to believe that the evil in the world is external to me, and if we could just take it over, me and the rest of the good people, things would work out right. But God says, all are sinners. Every living, breathing human being on the planet now and throughout human history has broken the law. God said to Adam and Eve, in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They thought it was going to make them like gods, knowing good and evil. We still think we got that part, you know. I know good, I know evil, I'm pretty good. Other people are evil. We got the knowledge. God, you come down here, join our team. Nobody needs to be beat up for me. Actually, what needs to happen in the world is some other people need to get beat up. I don't need any violence done to me or for me. There are some people that need some violence done to them. If we can go get them, we'll fix this world. All that is evidence of a fundamental brokenness and a refusal to see ourselves like God sees us and how we really are. See, Jesus' death upon the cross is personal. It's a comment on me. We see it theoretically. Somehow in God's infinite economy, Jesus had to die in order to balance out good and bad somehow in the world. But the truth is, when God gave his son to die at Calvary, when he spared not his own son and delivered him up for us all, it was God giving up on me and you and every person who has lived or ever will live God surrendered his son because he knew there'd never be one, no, not one, who would do good and do right and keep the law and live as he called them to live. Jesus died not for theoretical billions of sinners, but for me. See, if anybody in this room could have made it, Without the cross, the cross is not necessary. It's personal. It's me. The cross is a comment on my condition. I have received the verdict from God, and it is guilty. I have received the sentence from the highest court in the universe, and it is death. The wages of sin is death. I got the guilty verdict. I got death sentence. Why? Because my condition. Did I scare you? You all right? That's my condition. And so, God demonstrated his love for me in this way. While I was still a sinner, with all my mistakes and misdemeanors that are really sins, transgressions, iniquity, wickedness, and felonies, While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. The cross makes our faith very personal. It makes the judgment on sin very personal. It's about my condition. And the cross is a statement that there's no way in this life or the next that you have lived well enough or good enough that God will ever receive you on the basis of your own merit. What fell upon Jesus when he died on the cross is what should have fallen upon you and me. He was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord God above has laid on him his chosen one, the iniquity of us all. Young people, this is the justice of God. We want justice issues to be talked about in the church, and we are right about doing that. People need to be treated justly and fairly. But you don't get to the gospel of the Bible until you know that the wrath of God, which was intended for you, fell upon Christ. And he, as your substitute, took a penalty which belonged to you. He stepped into your place. He took the verdict. He took the sentence. He died on your behalf. That is the good news. But you don't get there until you personally understand and appropriate the bad news that I am a sinner and I can't save myself and there are no righteous acts which I can do which will bring me salvation. I am totally and fully dependent on God's grace and mercy on my behalf. Paul went to a city in Greece named Corinth and he said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, And my words were not words of man's wisdom. That we weren't dependent on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. And then he says this. For the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness but to we who are saved it is the power of God and the wisdom of God maybe to you the cross still feels like foolishness that it would apply to you personally that there is something God did for you in the death of his son upon the cross, that just doesn't compute still. As it didn't with Peter. When Peter said, no, what are you talking about? This shall will never be. Spare yourself, Jesus. We need you alive, not dead. And Jesus comes back around to say, if anyone wants to follow me, he must Deny himself. And take up his cross daily. And follow me. See, he came from heaven to earth to show us the way. And the way is this. You lay your life down. You lay your life down. You you surrender You let it go. You die. It is in the laying down of your life that God rescues you. If you seek to keep it and clutch it and hold it in your hands, you will lose it. But if you, for my sake, lay it down, you will find it. There's a pride in you that does not want to admit how deeply flawed you are, how deep the pride and arrogance and greed and lust go. In your life, that your mistakes and misdemeanors are not little scratches on an otherwise perfect furniture. They are flaws that go all the way to the center of who you are. The gospel is only good news when you, in desperation, realize that you have not the resources for your own rescue. And that God must give you a new heart. Because the old heart is just wicked. People miss the cross. It's the center. It's the symbol. And they still miss it. Faye Scott is our children's minister. And she made this statement to me. And in my presence one day, she said, you know, I almost missed it. Hello, Faye.
2: Hello, Pastor.
1: And I remember you saying, I almost missed it. Tell us what you meant.
2: Well, I grew up going to church every Sunday. And uh,
1: I was in church not
2: necessarily because I wanted to be, but mostly because I was afraid of what would happen to me if I didn't go. And, David, I remember walking every Sunday. I would walk right past this. Big crucifix that hung up on the wall, and I knew that that was Jesus on the cross, and I knew that He had died, I knew that He had been nailed to the cross, but it wasn't anything personal to me. As a matter of fact, I never understood it. So a lot of what you've been saying, I could really relate to. I had also heard that God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross. And I never understood that. And I thought, what kind of a father would do that? Why would you send your own son to be tortured, to be beaten? How does that show love? It just never connected with me. And then one day, um, I was about 33 years old, and our whole world turned upside down. Because what happened was that a colleague of my husband's invited us to go to church. And we had been away from church for about three years at that point. And I had the sense when I walked into that little church that things were about to change, but I had no clue what God was about to do. And so for the first time in my life, really, I began to hear stories from the Bible, things that I had heard before, but I thought they were fairy tales or fables. I didn't realize that Noah's Ark was in the Bible. I didn't know that Jonah Jonah was in the Bible. I didn't know those things. And our whole world just, just totally changed. And the pastor and his wife, and ironically his name was David too, uh, they kind of took us in under their wing and they really began to teach us and to disciple us and they helped me even to pick out a Bible because I didn't have one. But most importantly, they began to share the message of the gospel. And so they started telling us then that what Jesus had died on the cross, when, when he was beaten, when the crown of thorns was put on his head, that he had done that for my sins, that it was because of the wrong things that I had done, he was the only perfect sacrifice. He was the only sacrifice that was acceptable, that could be acceptable in God's eyes. And it was because of my sins that he had willingly come down from heaven and died on the cross. I had never understood that before, ever. It just never connected with me. And When I realized that his death was a substitution for my death, so that at the end of my life, I would not have to be punished for those sins. I don't even know how to say it. It's almost like when you read about Paul's salvation, how just the scales were removed from my eyes and I began to see things in a whole different light. And I began, finally, it all made sense. It just began to connect. And then I realized that what I had been doing was I desperately wanted to know how to get to heaven, but I had been trying to follow rules and regulations and living up to the Ten Commandments. But I knew enough to know that I... I, I wasn't good enough for that. I was falling short, but how would I ever know if I could go to heaven? And so when I realized that all Jesus had already paid it for me, he had already done everything that was required to, to pay the debt for my sins. And all I had to do was just surrender my life to him. And that really all that he wanted was a relationship. And so at that moment, I just remember realizing that it wasn't a life that I was walking away from, but it was a relationship that I was walking to. And just a sense of forgiveness and love yeah. just flooded me. And so when you ask me how I almost missed it, I remember sitting in, I can almost show you the pew in Marksville, in this little church, where I can remember sitting in the realization of what Jesus had done for me and how close I had come. To missing it because I didn't even know that I didn't know. Does that make sense? Because I thought I was doing the right thing. And I easily could have gone the rest of my life without knowing. But God put people in my life who were willing to share what he had done. And that's really the message of my life. And that's really what I want to get out to our boys and girls. I don't want them to have to go through life Not knowing and not understanding what Jesus did.
1: Yeah. Because keeping all those rules, that's a frustration. And there's a despair connected to it. And there's never a sense of being clean.
2: And I knew I couldn't do it and I knew that I wasn't doing it.
1: And it's in the cross of Christ that we are able to experience the cleansing power of God's love and forgiveness. Thanks for sharing faith.
0: I Again We're children of the wilderness We're at the great divide We cannot make a way across So the Lamb was crucified His blood now makes a way for us covers all our sin, to lead us from our desert place into the promised land. And all the earth rejoices as the sun begins to rise. The stone is rolled
3: away at last. Our Jesus is.
1: All your life, he's been trying to get you back home. He's intervened and interrupted your life in ways that you can enumerate as you think back through your own personal history. Times when it seemed like God was shouting to you through the circumstances and people and situations in your life. And he is the gentle shepherd who calls us to himself. And the way he said it is this, I am the good shepherd. And then he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And there you have it. God's plan for you and me. Not that Jesus would take over the throne of the world, but that he would take over the throne of your life That he would address the personal brokenness that's inside every one of us and bring a spiritual cleansing and healing and forgiveness that you cannot find anywhere else in this world. Because somewhere inside of you, you know you need a Savior. And in the dark days, you've got to be thinking sometimes, Oh, I really wish there was a Savior. And the good news is, God has sent the Savior. His name is Jesus. He loved you enough to die on the cross for your sin and and satisfy the justice of a holy God who calls you to himself and you can be one of God's children and securely in the family of God not through good works that you do but through receiving by faith what Christ has done on your behalf Say, wouldn't you like that Wouldn't it be good to leave here knowing your sins have been forgiven, not because you devised a plan or found a plan, but because God found you and brought his truth to your heart? This response time is for you, your opportunity to say, I want Christ in my life. Bow with me, please. If you are the one to whom the Holy Spirit has spoken and you know you need a Savior and you look at your life and say, oh, what a mess, God. Something new needs to happen in me. Would you pray, dear Lord, I know I am a sinner. I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Forgive me for my sin. I give you my life. Come into my heart and make me your own. Would you pray that prayer with the faith God gives you? Would you just trust and say, Lord, I want that sacrifice you made to be for me. Lord, I pray in this holy moment that you would call a man or woman, boy or girl, young person to yourself. Speak your word to them. And claim them as your own. Good shepherd. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Let's stand together.
1: Our prayer counselors are going to be here in the aisles. If you've not trusted Jesus or if you just prayed that prayer to trust him, would you tell one of our prayer counselors, I just asked Jesus into my heart or I want to. Maybe you've been saved but not baptized. You want to be part of the baptism on Easter. This is the time to come. Maybe you need a church home maybe it's been a long time since you were vitally connected to the body of Christ this is the time to come and say I want to put my influence and life and resources in the life of this body let's sing together, you respond as we sing
0: See through I come quiet my soul Remember. Redemption's here With your blood was spirit for my ransom
3: Everything
0: I once held dear I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross Set
3: Didn't try.
1: singing in the word but you didn't you can respond on that tab that we identified earlier on that worship guide if you haven't torn that off already go ahead and tear that off check on there I want to talk to a pastor or whatever other information you want us to give that's the way you can communicate to us and I'd be glad to have a personal conversation with you about how Jesus can make a difference in your life so go ahead and use that tab to talk to us okay and respond that way Donnie lead us in our prayer Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can come and worship you, Father. Lord, we just thank you that you were able to bless us this week, Lord, and that we can give a portion of what you bless us with, Father, back to you for the ministries of this city, this world, and this nation, Father, that they all men will be drawn to you, Father, Lord, as we go out, I pray, Lord, that we would be a voice to this nation, a light into the dark world, Father. Lord, we love you and we just thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: As we take up our offering, just sing this with me one time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So what can make me whole again? What can make me whole again? precious. Oh, precious is the flow. Precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. That makes me white as snow.
4: Robert. We want y'all to know about everything that is in this worship guide here. We've got all kinds of announcements, all stuff, all kinds of good stuff going on that we want you to know about. But I want to draw your attention to just a few things in here. In the second column inside of our ministry opportunities, you'll see that all of our children are invited to an Easter egg hunt this afternoon at, um, four o'clock. I should have put my reading glasses on, shouldn't I At four o'clock this afternoon here, here at, um, in, down in the, um, preschool area, we want you to know about that. Oh, actually in fellowship hall is where you're going to meet for that Easter egg hunt. And we want y'all to come. We've got 3000 Easter eggs plus, And so it's going to be a great time. And the, the Easter story will be shared. We also want you to know that at two o'clock this afternoon is a memorial service for Leroy Miller. And we want you to be a part of that if you can, and come and enjoy that time together of celebrating his life together. We also want you, if you can, to sign up for Secret Church as you leave today. It is Good Friday, 6 o'clock to midnight, and if you can be a part of that, it'll be a great time of teaching on heaven, hell, and the end of the earth.
1: That sounds great. I'm interested in that. And you know this is the last time of worshiping at 930. That's right. We're going to 1045 when? Next Sunday morning. And your Bible study group is meeting when? 9.30. 930. All right. We're doing the great flip. Now, I was at an event last night and sitting with people that I'd not met before, and we started inviting them to come to church. And we got three or four commitments from people that were total strangers that they would come. Some of them are planning to be here on Easter Sunday morning. There are a lot of folks in town who used to go to church, they don't anymore, they're not connected, and you know them. We are planted with them all over the city. Easter Sunday, why not come to First Baptist and worship with us here? And uh, let's put out the invitation. Let's bring our friends, let's let folks know as we meet them that we're going to have worship here and we'd love for them to come and be here. Let's not assume they've got a place all ready to go. Let's invite them to come here. Now the flip that we're doing is permanent okay so from now on this event will start at 10:45 worship starts at 10:45 and small groups will meet at 9:30 on Sunday morning okay so let's make that uh, adjustment in our mind choir you were wonderful today and music team thank you what a a wonderful presentation of the gospel. Thank you for all the time you invested, all your hard work. Robert, thank you. It was beautiful, uh, very meaningful. Spoke to my heart, and I know it did to yours. We have small group Bible study for everybody now, so I hope you'll find your small group. And let's go to Bible study. God bless you.